Welcome to Warriors Off Court, the San Francisco Chronicles NBA podcast. I'm your host, Connor Letourneau, and today I'm joined by Bram Hilsman, host of the popular Warriors Huddle podcast. During our conversation, we discuss Jordan Bell's reunion with Golden State, Steph Curry's bid for the scoring title, potential play-in matchups, and much, much more. Bram, thank you so much for joining me back on the podcast. It's been a few weeks. Um, I believe you're you're in that fully vaxxed life. I'm in that fully vaxxed life. How's, how's this new world treating you? So I'm in this kind of weird in-between. So I have received my second shot, and theoretically I'm fully vaccinated. But I need that next week, right? They tell you you have to go 14 days with the vaccination coursing through your blood before you're free to go outside. So I feel like I'm protected, but I don't have the medical green light like really strange like nether period i feel healthy i feel good but i haven't really taken advantage of it why does it sound like you're out there like in the streets having parties left and right what am i missing no i mean i I haven't hit the two-week mark either um i'm basically just going to chase center where i'm getting tested anyway even though i've now been fully vaccinated um but uh you know it's been it's been an interesting couple weeks in warriors land uh steph continues to be steph and just dazzle on a on a nightly basis um but there's been some other interesting storylines obviously the play-in tournament we're starting to get to crunch time in the regular season and there's tons of machinations going on about you know who they could place in the play-in who they could face in the first round um there's there's some roster uh juggling going on obviously the Warriors are down to eight healthy bodies with all the injuries and and Damian Lee's coronavirus related absence um so the first thing I wanted to get to, and the reason I want to get to this right away is because I wrote an off day story a couple of days ago on Jordan Bell, where I talked to some people close to him about how he's handled his two years away from the team. In those two years, he's been on six NBA teams. Um, he's It's insane. In the past 15 months, he's been on six NBA rosters. He hasn't played in games for all those teams. I believe he's only played in games for three of those teams, but he's been on six NBA rosters, two G League rosters, been all over the place. He's, he's at the point where he's basically trying to resuscitate his career. Um, and so I wrote this off day story thinking, oh, this you know, be a nice little like catch up on, on Jordan, Jordan Bell and, and uh, it won't be a big deal. Story blew up, like blew up. I was shocked. Like looking at looking at our numbers, it was one of my most read stories all year. I texted our good friend Wes Goldberg. I was like, I do not understand the internet. Like I sometimes will write these stories that I think are just like decent little dailies, and then they do better than stuff I've I've worked uh, weeks on. Um, as a Warriors fan, can you help me make sense of that? Why did the Jordan Bell story blow up? First, let me congratulate you on a really well-executed hungable rag. I like, you know, just, uh, by the way, I just wrote this crazy popular Jordan Bell story. So that was really, uh, really well handled. Why is it so popular? Well, I think that generalized interest in the Warriors is skyrocketing now um, because we are speeding towards a playoff berth. We know that they uh, solidified one. Also, the Warriors have seemingly kind of figured it out. It might be a little too early to use that phrase. Um, In fact, had they coughed up that 18-point lead against Utah last night, It would have been harder to say this, but it looks like they are finally establishing an identity as a team. And so I think all of us are circling the wagons and really, uh, 
really getting back into our Warriors' interest. But as far as Jordan Bell, I, I think it's because we need him, right? I mean, the, the Warriors desperately need bodies. And even more than that, they desperately need bodies in the front court who can help us rebound. And if it's Jordan Bell is the answer to this open question, then the more information that we can get that somehow convinces us that he's not the Jordan Bell from the past, you know, that there's been some kind of resurrection, some reason why he's going to come back and contribute. I think we, we all want to read that as quickly as we possibly can. Yeah, I think you're right. Because the story does get into, you know, his, his off season transformation, how he's kind of helped round out his game, how he's matured. Um, You know, if you remember during his two year stint with the Warriors, that was kind of the big knock on him was he wasn't a professional on and off I mean, the court. Candle, um, he was kind of immature. Candlegate, right? I mean, the whole Mike Mike Brown thing. Yeah. Candlegate being the big example of that. There was also that time in the Lakers game, uh, his second year, where he got in a heated argument with Steve Kerr on the bench. There were there have been reported examples of him not going to optional workouts, um, even though he was a rookie at the time, and optional workouts are are only optional for Steph Curry, Draymond Green, and Klay Thompson. Um, he just didn't, he just didn't know. He didn't understand uh, what, what it all meant. And, uh, and so, you know, you can't fault him too much, but um, you would think that it's kind of, it's kind of uh, obvious, right. But he, he, he had, he had a lot to figure out early in his NBA career, but you saw, you saw the physical talent. You saw he was an athletic specimen. He looks like a Greek god. I mean, uh, he's an Adonis, like in a lot of ways. But um, it just it, it never has translated into consistent production. Um, I don't think. First of all, he's not very skilled offensively. We all know that. But I think he he could find a long term role in the NBA just as a, a high energy big coming off the bench who block shots and rebounds. The problem is he doesn't have the highest basketball IQ, and uh, I think I think he's, you know, that's that's kept him from being consistent at times. And when you're talking about kind of scratching and clawing to stay in the league, um, you know, you 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 need to make the most of your opportunities. And so, you know, after he left the Warriors, he signed with Minnesota, where it looked like he was going to have plenty of opportunity to play, but he couldn't get consistent minutes there. Um, and then is involved in the the Robert Covington deal to Houston uh, just as a salary filler. And then Houston, obviously he's not in Houston's plans. They swap him the next day over to Memphis. He's not in Memphis's plans either. He lasts like less than a month in Memphis. And so he just has not – he's ended up in a bunch of situations where he's on teams that don't care about him and don't really not want him or need him. And that's never going to be a position to succeed. You know, you're never, you're never going to, no matter what you do in your limited minutes, it's just, it's not going to change anything. If, if the, if the franchise did, wasn't, you know, enamored with you when you first, when you first sure. arrived. Um, and so now he's in a situation where he's in a familiar environment. He's, uh, you know, going to get some minutes. I don't think he's going to get big minutes, but Kevon Looney's played, 30 plus minutes a night. And I don't think that's sustainable. So, you know, even if he's getting like 10 minutes a night, that's enough of an opportunity to show that he belongs in the NBA, you know, and, and maybe he, maybe he can even carve out 
a role in the back end of the Warriors rotation next season. Um, but it's a big opportunity for him, and he's being thrown into the fire at a, a critical stage. I mean, he'll get – he's supposed to – my understanding is he's supposed to sign Thursday once he clears protocol. So he'll have a couple regular season games under his belt um, and then, you know, hopefully play a little bit in the playoffs. So it's a, it's an cr- incredibly unique situation for him. I mean, what you just highlighted, and let's turn this into a Venn diagram conversation. Let's bring it back to what you initially asked me. Why are people suddenly reinvigorated in their interest in Jordan Bell? It's because the analysis on Bell is completely flipped. You know, looking at Bell's athletic upside and possible mental downside was kind of a fun thing to do while the Warriors were speeding towards championships and we didn't really need him. You know, he was a victory cigar. He came in and had a couple explosive dunks after the Warriors were already up 15. It's an entirely different analysis now because they need him. If, if the current setup holds and the Warriors enter the play-in tournament as the eighth seed and the Lakers enter it as the seventh, well, that's what we all kind of wanted from a storyline perspective. It's amazing. As a fan, I can't wait to watch that. But from a basketball perspective, it's kind of a nightmare for the Warriors. You know, the, the Lakers, what they do is outsize people. Their front court is fucking enormous. You know, we, we have problems rebounding against any team. Rebounding uh, against the Lakers with a front court of LeBron and Anthony Davis is one hell of a problem. And one of the solutions to that is going to be Jordan Bell. You know, and so... Why are we interested? You know, why has there been a a big influx of finding out who this guy is? Well, it's because that previous analysis of can this dude figure it out actually and completely matters to our success on the floor now. And it didn't before. So we'll see. You know, I mean, do you think having done the piece, having looked at him, do you think he's primed to turn it around? Will he take advantage of this opportunity? Um, I I think. I think that he can fill I think he can fill the role that they need him to fill which is basically going to be be a high energy guy off the bench for 10 or so minutes a night who uh doesn't make a lot of mistakes who can rebound for his position defend his defend a couple different positions and uh block the occasional shot and throw down the occasional alley-oop dunk and or put back um, they're not, you know, I talked to his, his mentor who I, who I've gotten to know over the years. And he was talking a lot about, Oh, he's gotten so much better as a ball handler. He's, he's improved his jump shot. That's all great, but I don't think he's going to necessarily need to use those skills with the Warriors. I don't think they're necessarily going to want him to use those skills. The bigger question is, can he execute a dribble handoff? Can he, <laughs> can he find, can he find, uh, you know, Steph, when Steph's open, those were things he struggled with in his first go around right. with the Warriors. He's Can had he a while not... to study film. He's actually known for a while that he was going to join the Warriors. This has been in the works for weeks now. Um, so my guess is that he's been studying film and and trying to, you know, acclimate himself to the new roster and all that. So I think he can do it. Uh, but no, I do. I think he's going to be like, a major difference maker or even, you know, a part of this team's long-term plan. No, I think what gave him the edge over some other options, big man options and free agency was just that he knows the system already. And this, this is like a pretty, a pretty quick time 
line. Um, but the G League's the G League, but he did look incredible at times with the Erie Bayhawks before he had a calf injury. In seven games, he averaged over 17 points per game on 80% shooting. So he was pretty dominant at that level. I think that's encouraging. Can you tell us the last time he's used an assistant coach's credit card to buy anything from a hotel? Candles, food, anything like that? I mean, has that distant past, I hope. Yeah, you know, I do think that more that 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 whole situation was was blown up a little bit and that's just the nature of the nba uh when when you're like a bench guy like that and you're not getting written about a ton anyway and then you're in the headlines for something like charging uh a, a candle to your assistant coach's hotel bill multiple times by the way that wasn't just once uh without the assistant coach's permission um you know, the narrative on you is not going to be great. I mean, people barely talked about Jordan Bell while he was with the Warriors, except for the infamous anecdote of Andre Iguodala having to tell him to go to an optional workout during the playoffs. Um, And uh, his argument with Steve Kerr and the scented candle. And um, I think Jordan Bell is a guy who, to be honest, is a, is just a physical specimen and he is in the made the NBA because he's a physical specimen to be honest I think I don't I don't think he he you know I think I'm not saying he doesn't love basketball but I don't think it's the same for him the way it is for like a staff or a Draymond and um you know I think that this entire experience the past 15 months of of being out of the league and uh, and having to claw his way back in has humbled him in a major way and made him appreciate what he had. I think sometimes to appreciate something, you need to have it taken away from you, and he had it taken away from him. So um, he's gonna he's going to mind his p's and q's. I, I doubt he will be charging any scented candles to Mike Brown's hotel bill um, in the play-in tournament or playoffs. Um, but you know, this brings up another topic, which is. Um, they have another open roster spot because they're, they're converting as they, and as they should, I feel like they should have a while ago, but I think they just waited for, for salary reasons, but they're converting Juan Descano Anderson's two way deal into a, to a guaranteed standard contract, um, putting him on the, on the 15 man roster. They're giving that two way contract to Jordan bell. Now they still have an open 15 man roster spot. My understanding talking to people in the organization is they are going to be using that spot. I think they're already kind of zeroing in on a player or two to target for that spot. Um, My understanding is that they do value an easy, smooth transition process, especially this late in the season. And with that in mind, I think that there's two guys that make sense. Gary Payton, the second, who just had two 10 days with the Warriors and looked really good in limited minutes. And I was honestly surprised they didn't sign him for the rest of the season. I think they didn't just because of salary cap reasons. Um, And then the other one being Glenn Robinson, the third, who was really solid for the Warriors last season before he got traded to Philadelphia at the deadline and is a free agent right now. Uh, Things didn't work out for him this year in uh, Sacramento. He's available. I would love to see them go after Glenn Robinson the third. I like them both. Uh, you, I was all ready to immediately say uh, GP2. In fact, I had a little antidote ready in my head. I was going to say, hey, 
Connor, you remember we were on a conference call, press conference with Steve Kerr when they first asked him, are they going to sign him long-term? And Kerr said, I'm not sure what's going to happen, but I sure hope so. I love uh, Gary Payton the second. And so I was ready to give that to you and was going to, you know, try to flex that I was out of practice. And then you brought up Glenn Robinson and I, both of those names really speak to Peyton's defense in the backcourt could be a godsend and Robinson's ability to shoot the rock, you know, would also be helpful. So if they sign either of those dudes, they'd get a smile from me. If I had to pick one, I think it would be GP2 only because he was here more recently. And to borrow your point, the least amount of transition that they can, you know, fold in what a week away from the playoffs, the better at this stage. I would, I really like GB2. I covered him at Oregon State. I know him pretty well. I've always liked him as a player. I don't fully understand why he hasn't found a long term home. He's an elite defender. Um, I know he's, his jump shot is questionable, but I feel like his defense is good enough that he should have a role somewhere. Um, but I, I, let me, do you mind if I ask you this just because it's distracting me? And I apologize and feel free to cut it because it's not directly basketball related. This is going back to the Jordan Bell thing. I, I am like, I'm okay with pranks, you know, like I've pranked people. I can't think of anything immediately, but like it's concept I'm up on, but I would never prank a boss. Like that would never happen. That yeah. Those kind of things don't go uphill, you know? And like, if what we're talking about is we're worried about his decision-making buying a candle, who cares? You know I mean? It doesn't really mean anything. It's the idea of going after, you know, up the power ladder, going after your boss. It doesn't make any sense. But let me ask you the, the question I'm setting up. Have you ever, you know, like have, have at any point in your life, regardless of how, how young you were or what the job was, have you ever actually pranked a boss or is that ridiculous? No, no. <laughs> I'm, I'm way too worried about my employment to do that. Exactly. And like your uh, you know, given the state of, of the industry and everything, I'm not, uh, I'm not trying to, uh, to put myself in harm's way in any way uh you know you know if layoffs come uh if cutbacks come i I don't want to put do anything to potentially put myself on the chopping block so no i have not (laughs) done that um but uh yeah so it'll be it'll be interesting i would actually take between those two guys i would take glenn robinson the third just because i think he's more feels more of a positional need uh the warriors I think need another wing. Uh, Damian Lee probably is not going to play again. It's very possible that Ubre does not play again. And then this hip injury with uh, with Pascal has been really weird. Um, there's no guarantee he'll play again in the regular season. And and at, and if you're not playing, if you're not playing again in the regular season, then why, you know, why play? Uh, why why bring him back in the postseason when they haven't played in over a month? I mean. That's that's a huge risk, and, and in the playoffs, you need to know what you're going to get out of guys. So it's it's uh, they're kind of losing their window there. Those those three sure. guys in terms of coming back at all. Um, so that being said, I think that they need someone to eat up some of those minutes, and I and I think I think Glenn Robinson the third could do it. Um, he had the yeah, best year of his sense. career with the Warriors last season, and he was. He was good. I mean, he was a he was a prototypical three and D guy. I mean, he's not like going to wow you, but uh, he was he was a solid NBA player. Which at this stage of the season, given what given what is out there, um, I think that's the best you're going to do. 
Well, and, and consistency would be a, a real welcome change. I mean, and where Glenn Robinson is in his career as compared to GP2. Now, I, I loved Peyton, but he, he wasn't consistent on a night-by-night basis. That has more to do with how young he is. And, you know, there, there's certainly something to be said about knowing what to expect from the player you're bringing in. We'll have more of my conversation with Bram Hilsman right after the break. One thing I wanted to talk to you about is the scoring title. You know, Steph is is uh, well positioned to to get the the scoring title for the the second time of his career. He would become the uh, oldest player to to win that uh, title since a 35 year old Michael Jordan did it in 97, 98. Uh, Curry's averaging 31.9 points per game this season. Um, He's almost a half point or so above uh, Bradley Beal, who is maybe not going to play again in the regular season. He's he he's missing, uh, you know, the next game for for the Wizards with a with a hamstring issue. Um, he he might not. Uh, it, it, there, there's no guarantees he'll be able to play in the, the final couple games in the regular season for the Wizards, and so you know, given that this is an award based off your points per game, he could still win it even without uh, playing these final two games. If Steph struggles, Um, I believe Steph only needs to average about 23 points per game over his final three games, which feels like a guarantee, Uh, you know, over his past 17 games, he's only fallen below that mark once. I feel like he's locked it up, but in your mind, is this is this important? Like, is this something we should care about as warrior? If you're a Warriors fan, should you care about this, or is it just kind of like a nice little thing that doesn't really matter? So you are asking me in some ways two different questions. Should I care? Do I care? Right? Should I care? No, Connor, I shouldn't. I shouldn't. This guy is a is a two time MVP, one of which unanimous is a three time champion. And has brought my team from the depths of, you know, one of the, the least relevant franchises in sports to the heights of dynastic runs. You know, we went through five straight finals. So whether or not he actually gets a regular season scoring title this year, should I care about it? No. Do I care about it? Hell yes, Connor. Oh my God, yes. I, I've, I've cared about it far too much. And a portion of that is the, the bar argument I find myself having with non-Curry guys, with non-Warrior fans, right? We, here in Golden State, we have always accepted his brilliance and we tout it constantly. But it hasn't been accepted everywhere. We are constantly hearing things like finals MVP, system player, you know, he's just a good shooter. So if we could add this scoring title to the list of his accolades, it's an F you to all the haters. It's one of the things that I can bring up when I'm having the legacy conversation down the line. So yeah, man, I'm on board. I, I didn't realize how much I cared about it um, until kind of towards the end of the year here and started doing the exact scoreboard watching you're talking about. You know, how many points does he need? And I'll tell you what, you know who else he really cares about it? Steph, you know, the, the Bradley Beal puts up that 50 spot. And so we know now that Curry needed to score 24 in that game to maintain his lead. And if memory serves, he put up that 24 in the first quarter. I don't think that was a coincidence. I think he knew exactly what he was shooting. Oh, he admitted to it as much. Okay, there you go. So, yeah. So, if if somebody who has actually played in five finals, if somebody who has won three titles and won two MVPs 
is is you know showing you both with his body and his words that it matters to him does it matter to me hell yes it does Connor. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think, I think what makes it cool is just the fact that he's doing it at 33. I mean, 31.9 points per game. Like this is, this is a competitive year for that award. Uh, you know, Bradley Beal has done everything to, to lock that, that up. I mean, he, he, it was kind of, it wasn't even a conversation until the past month or so. I mean, it looked like he, he had locked it up over a month ago. Uh, but Steph has been so transcendent the past in the past six weeks or so that uh, he has come from kind of out of nowhere to to become the front runner in this thing, and it's absolutely absolutely incredible. Over the past twenty two games, uh, Curry has averaged eight more points per game than Bradley Beal. But in as of mid March, when 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 Curry had that tailbone issue, uh, he was averaging three and a half points per game less than uh than Beal on the season so it's it's insane it's absolutely insane I'll, I'll add another thing that is surprising to me Curry still has the ability to shock me with his talent that's that's a really hard thing to do let me give you a stupid analogy I was listening to a podcast recently about the movie Jaws and they pointed out that Steven Spielberg learned something in that movie he said you got to be real careful about where you have the first scare in a movie. Because after you've scared the audience, they're expecting it. You're probably not going to scare them as big the second time. Same thing for sports. You know, after I'd watched Vince Carter dunk a few times, they were impressive, but he wasn't shocking me with his talent anymore. I knew what to expect. I have watched uh, every shot of Steph Curry's career. From the moment he came here from Davidson until last night's win, I watched everything. I enter every one, I don't know, over the last three years, let's say, I've entered every one of those games expecting something amazing, you know, expecting something incredible. And then when it happens, I'm still shocked at, at least once a game watching uh, Curry. He does something I've still never seen before, still leaves me, you know, shocked with joy, shocked with awe. That's an almost impossible thing to do. And he's doing it on a nightly basis. And it's uh, on our show, um, on the huddle, at least once a month, we kind of pause and say, make sure you're enjoying this because you're not guaranteed it. You will probably never have it again. There's certainly a lot of fan bases that have never had a superstar like this. So every minute that we get to see this dude on the floor, recognize it for what it is. You know, this is a five-star experience. Suck up every second of it. Yeah. A hundred percent. One hundred percent. And, you know, there's been so much talk about, playing tournament and the possibilities there understandably um and we're going to get into that shortly but i think as much as we're watching the warriors standing in the play in in this in the western conference standings i think we need to be watching the timberwolves um they're they're uh kind of making some 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 strides they were it's looking like the worst team in the league by far for most of the season and now Anthony Edwards is looking like a legit rookie of the year candidate. And, and they have, they've kind of come to life under a new coach. Um, and it, one thing I wanted to ask you is, are you rooting for the Timberwolves to win games or to lose games? And I, and to some background here, a lot of people may not understand the, the nuances of the draft lottery. It's a little confusing, but basically if the war the closer the Warriors uh or the closer the Timberwolves finished to having the worst record in the NBA, 
the higher chance the Warriors have of drafting fourth or fifth. Okay, so hypothetically, if the Timberwolves finish with the worst record in the NBA, which it no longer looks like they're going to, but if they did, the Warriors would have about a 60% chance of drafting fourth or fifth. Um, keep in mind, that's a top three protected pick, so it needs to fall out of the top three. They have a 60% chance of getting fourth, fourth or fifth. It could not fall worse than fifth, um, but – you know, yeah, the, higher, the, the higher the Timberwolves finish in the standings, yeah. the the greater chance the Warriors have of that pick conveying to them, yep. but the less chance they have of drafting in the top five. And so right now, actually, the Timberwolves have the sixth worst uh, record in the NBA, uh, believe it or not, because it's really bunched up down in the bottom half dozen yep. teams in the league. And uh, they have if, if they kept that, they would have – a 10.1% chance of the Warriors getting the number four pick, no chance of the Warriors getting the fifth pick, 8.1% at six, 28.5 at seven, 20% at eight, 3.6% at nine, and 10% at one. So you're looking at well over 60% chance of the pick combined. It's just, uh, you know, probably not going to be fourth or fifth. And that's important because this is a, this is a draft where it's widely believed that there are about five, future franchise guys in this draft Cade Cunningham Evan Mobley uh, Jalen Suggs Jalen Green and Jonathan Kaminga so if the pick falls out of the top five that's important because it has way less trade value because then you're it's kind of up for debate who you would take in like the six to ten range I mean there's a bunch of guys who could be possibilities there uh, but none of them have that oomph factor, that it factor that those first five guys have. And that matters for the Warriors because, uh, you know, this is kind of their only path, in my opinion, to uh, to getting an all-star caliber guy this year is if they pack it, put together a package for James Wiseman, that top three protected pick, um, and then a big contract, potentially Andrew Wiggins. Maybe you can do a sign-and-trade situation with, with uh, Kelly Oubre, but that's really their only path. And I think, I, and so they need the pick to convey this year because if it goes to next year, you know, you're looking at unprotected 2022 when Minnesota is getting better at maybe that's a late lottery pick in a relatively weak draft. It just does not have the trade value. So this is really important. And so what are you rooting for? Would you rather them finish closer to the worst record in the league and ha- the Warriors have a better chance of getting a top five pick, but a lesser chance of getting the pick at all or the, the other way around and, and then finish higher in the standings. I have been trying to crack this in particular mathematical calculation for, I don't know, four or five months. And I still don't completely understand it. I think what I want them to end up with is the fourth uh, slot. I think I want them to be the fourth uh, crappiest team in the league, but I'm not positive just because of the math that you just broke down. Here's what I will say. I want them to get the pick this year come hell or high water. Uh, Minnesota's success recently, I think, has showed us that the beginning of the year had more to do with the injuries on their roster than the roster themselves. And so next year, I expect them to be even better than they've been towards the end of this year. And I think we're looking at like a 12 or 13 pick next year in a shittier draft. So I would like it to convey this year. And then as far as its importance and forgive another stupid analogy and at the risk of, of using another movie, but this is a sliding doors moment, man. And it's a huge one. Um, there, there was a movie a while back called Sliding Doors. A woman 
tries to catch a train. She misses it by seconds. And from there on out, it's now two different movies. What would have happened had she boarded the train? What happened when she didn't? And there are two completely different lives that she leads. I, I think she meets somebody on the train. Well, what happens with this draft? Enormous sliding door moment for the Warriors. You know, on one side, if they walk away with a four or a five pick, they now have either somebody who theoretically is a franchise talent that draft pundits have been talking about for six, seven years. This is the draft. On the other side, if they want it, they have a trade package with that and Wiseman that would, you know, every team in the league would have to listen to. If you approach Boston for Tatum with Wiseman and the four pick, they're not hanging up immediately. So what happens, how it happens, I'm not positive. I think you need a PhD in draft economics to understand exactly what we should be rooting for, but it's a huge thing, you know, and I've, I've been watching Minnesota scores every night. I think they play Detroit um, either tonight or tomorrow, who's one of the teams beneath them in the standings. And yeah. it's like, that's just, yeah, it's completely broken my brain. I, I guess we want them we want them to lose that game so they don't kick up a, a win. But if Detroit gets another win, it just, you know, it's another team in that in that cluster of six spots. So it's it's a hard question. It is. It is. Uh, it, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting to analyze, interesting thing to analyze because it's like you need to watch the standings, but I don't really know what you should root for. You know, it's, yeah. like, it's, it's, it's so weird. Um, and so. Obviously, we're saying that we're saving the big topic for last, and that that basically is the machinations for the playing tournament. The Warriors, it's looking like they have around a 70 75% chance now of locking up the eight seed. It's going to probably come down to them in Minnesota. Um, looking at the standings right now, uh, the Warriors are entering their, their final three games of the season, they're a half game up on 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 Memphis. Sorry. I just said Minnesota. They're half game up on Memphis for that eighth spot. That's important because um, the, the seventh and eighth teams in the Western conference will have uh, two chances to get into the playoffs. Whereas uh, if you're ninth or 10th, you have to win two straight games to get in. Um, so it's a, a much tougher road to get there. Um, the Warriors, given how inconsistent they've been this season, they need to make things as easy on themselves as possible. So this is important. This could end up coming down to the regular season finale on May 16th against Memphis, which would be fascinating. Um, But, you know, let's say, let's say, let's assume that the Warriors uh, end up locking up the eighth spot, which I feel, I feel like they should be able to do. Um, Tonight will be important. They're playing a good, a really good Phoenix team. If they can win that, I think they're really well positioned. But if they can do that, they're on track to face the Lakers in the playing tournament in the first game of the playing tournament in LA, which is fascinating, right? Because the Lakers needed to completely tank the past month or so to even be in this type of position coming off last season's championship. And this is a this is a this is a kind of a dormant rivalry in the NBA. You know, they're two very relevant franchises, but they've never been good at the same time. And so they've never had a rivalry. The biggest game that's ever happened between these two franchises was the Sleepy Floyd game. You might remember back in the day. I was Uh, there. Sleepy Floyd is Superman. You were there? I was there, my friend. And I'm going to take from your vocal inflection, you're impressed by my sporting resume, not by my age. 
Yes. I, I don't, I'm not even going to ask how old you were. You had to be little. Super little. I was a sperm. But, you know, don't you worry about that. I still remember. Um, so what would, as a Warriors fan, I, I, what, you know, you're, you're, you're bred to hate LA, you're bred to hate the Lakers. Like, what would this mean for you to, to get to see them in somewhat of a playoff environment? Forgive me. This is not exactly right, but what I had been hoping for, um, was some kind of a scenario where Steph Curry had an opportunity to knock LeBron James out of the playoffs with a single game, with a single elimination. And we don't get that right on the nose, right? Because if the Warriors somehow win that 78 game, the Lakers get an opportunity. They don't, they're not out of the playoffs. They now play in that second game. But a single playoff game matching these two teams up at a time when the Warriors are coming together and Steph is recognizing his, you know, his legacy as one of the greatest to have ever done it. Oh, of course, of course that speaks to me. I can't wait for it to happen. As someone who has slowly realized, I think the most frustrating way to watch your team lose is watch them get just beaten to death by offensive rebounds. I'm terrified of that matchup. And, and I, you know, I talked about it earlier when we were talking about the upsides of Jordan Bell. So I'm looking forward to it. I still hope it happens, but in a weird way, you know, if, if, the, if the Warriors win that game, I think they then get matched up against the two seed. I think it would be Phoenix. In a weird way, I feel better about a series against Phoenix and their opportunity to win that than I would about the play-in game against the seventh seed Lakers. Yeah, no, I I, I agree. I agree. Um, it's it's a fascinating dynamic. Um, and the next question I was going to ask you is like, if they do get to the first round, would you rather face Utah or Phoenix? Uh, I would prefer face Utah. Um, for a couple of reasons. Reason number one, this, this, I'm sure this is what people were saying about Golden State in 2015 because they hadn't done it yet. Uh, but for, I, I understand what Utah has done um, and I get their record, but I'm not scared of them. And the Warriors have matched up well against them a couple of times. I know who was hurt last night. I know that Utah wasn't full strength, but the Warriors weren't full strength either. And so ultimately in a basketball matchup, um, I would prefer Utah, but I'll give you another personal take. One of the reasons I, I wouldn't want Phoenix if I had an opportunity for the Jazz is I don't think mentally, man, I could handle a loss to CP3 in Phoenix. I mean, I, I just couldn't watch his pompous face stomp around the court for a six, seven game series if they walked away with the win. So for that reason as well, you know, I, I think I prefer the Jazz. The Suns, I don't think I've gotten enough credit this season. This is, this was a team that was a straight up laughing stock uh, for over a decade. And now they are 48 and 20, you know, I've won over 70% of their games. They're, they're vying for the number one seed in the West. It's, it's incredible. And I know you can say, Oh, it's a product of just the weird year and all that, but like they had new pieces to, to acclimate to the roster, you know, like the, they they had they had their own learning curve and um they've done what they've done i think i think monty williams deserves so much credit i think uh james jones their gm deserves so much credit but um between the two for me i would actually rather base phoenix the question about utah is donovan mitchell going to be healthy is he going to be 100 percent? if he's not healthy or close to 100 percent, i would rather face utah but if he is i'd rather face phoenix because Outside of CP3, they don't really have any playoff experience. Like all those guys are going to be 
in uncharted territory. Um, so I would I would like to capitalize on that. The Warriors with with Steph and Draymond and Kavan have an enormous edge on the the Suns in that in that facet in that category. Um, now, do I think they can seriously beat them in a best seven series? Probably not, but I think they could make things interesting. And I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility for Steph and Draymond to just go on one and them to upset someone in the first round. I think it's possible. If they if we did the opposite, if you went to the front offices of either of these teams and they were off or honest and you said, all right, pick the team that you want to play, neither of them are picking the Warriors, you know, and it's because Steph and because Draymond and exactly what they're capable of. Here's a random aside, but I think you're the guy who may be able to give me the answer. Do you know whether or not the Jazz had to get like some kind of league allowance for Jordan Clarkson's remarkably large headband? And like, and, and I spent the entire night last night looking at that headband, being distracted by how wide and unnecessarily humongous it was. And I, I need to know. I need some answers here. Like, do you need some kind of exempt? I don't know. Status? That might have been like barely regulation because you remember the <laughs> like the kung fu headbands that they outlawed. Yeah, exactly. Exactly right. It wasn't even. It was like a half a beanie. Like it didn't even look like a headband. It looked like someone had just cut the top of his hat off. But he's a big reason why they've been so good this season. I mean, yeah. Utah was has been winning games without Rudy Go without uh, Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley uh, yeah. because they're super deep. They play well. They play super hard on defense. They they have incredible amount of cohesiveness. I think Quinn Snyder is one of the best coaches in the league. And Jordan Clarkson is a six is probably going to be six man of the year deservedly. Yeah. We um, saw it last night. He yeah, almost put him I mean, on his back on his back points. alone. I think 29 of those in the second half. Um, incredible. But uh, Bram, you're incredible. You're incredible I, for joining me on the pod as often as you do and bringing, bringing all your, uh, your great takes and insight, um, especially on a, in the middle of the day on a Tuesday when I know you have a day job. So I appreciate it. Um, where can our listeners find all, find your podcast, which I fully enjoy. You can find me at superoldwarriorfans.com, which I like to go by. Now, our, our uh, podcast is Warriors Huddle. You can find that Stitcher, iTunes, anywhere uh, you can ultimately find podcasts. And then we're pretty light on social media. The only place you can find me there is at Warriors Huddle. The pleasure is mine, man. I, you know I love coming on this show. I really appreciate you. And hopefully, we'll still be talking Warriors in a couple of weeks here. For sure. Thanks, man. Our thanks to Bram Hillsman for joining me on the podcast. Always love talking Warriors with him. Warriors Off Court is a production of the San Francisco Chronicle. Support Warriors Off Court in the newsroom that creates it by signing up for a Chronicle membership at sfchronicle.com pod. 